Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, and I'm really looking forward to this, is uh, Honorable Tim Moore, who uh, on Monday was re-elected as the incoming Speaker of the House of Representatives of the state of North Carolina, the General Assembly. Uh, and uh, he is now has now been elected to his fourth term, which ties a record for uh, that uh, particular position. Uh, Speaker Moore, thank you so much for being with us and congratulations on your re-election and for your service to the state of North Carolina. Thank you, Don. It's good to, good to be with you today. Well, you know, it's always good to, to uh, start the, this is the end of the year, but in a way it's the beginning of the year because I'm sure you are looking forward to what's going to happen next year. And next year should be a really interesting year. And of course, it's all about the economic situations brought about, about uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic that we're going through. It is really changing things. And of course, nothing has changed more than state government because uh, where the federal government can continue to borrow a few funds here and there where they need them, and they do that often. Um, state government has to ba- have a balanced budget. So you've got some really interesting uh, situations that will arise during the next year. What's the general outlook as far as revenue and, and, and uh, how do you think the General Assembly is going to react to this challenge? Well, of course, our, our revenue projections were extremely dire uh, a few months ago, but when the state started reopening and 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 business turned around, it, it got it got a little bit better, but it's still not near where it needs to be. We are, uh, and then the federal funds that came in helped plug the hole of about uh, three to four billion dollars, but uh, and that's out of a state budget, by the way. That's you know right around twenty four billion dollars. So we, we've had a hole to fill. We, we expect that we're going to see a shortfall continue into next year, and we don't know what that exact number is going to be. Um, the, those estimates can change uh, pretty quickly. A lot of it depends on whether or not the governor tries to shut the state back down again. And, and I would say that some of the shutdowns that have happened where we've clearly had a difference of opinion with the governor on a few of those things. Uh, have have really had a very significant impact. And the reason that's important is state government funds itself off of tax revenues, off of sales taxes and income taxes and various fees. And those things uh, really rise and fall based off of the activity in the economy. So when you see things such as restaurants and stores shut down and you see incomes depressed, those have a direct impact on the amount of revenue the state receives so that's uh, that that's going to uh, have a, have probably the largest impact on our on our economy we'll have to see where that is and then the other thing that we have of course is the there's an increase in cost uh, everything from the cost of everything from from schools to running the courts to running state agencies to the health care costs that are incurred i mean you name it everything is much more expensive now and it's just, uh, you, you know, we, we've, I guess none of us in our lifetimes have dealt with a, a health issue as significant as we are dealing with, with COVID-19. And so it's really important that we, that we get this right. 
And of course, we've get, had a lot of very promising news in the last week alone about uh, the vaccine, which could speed things up considerably is, if that uh, uh, is able to, uh, if that vaccine gets available to a large enough number of people that it can impact the uh, whole situation to uh, where we maybe by June, maybe not be facing nearly the restrictions we're facing now. So in addition to uh, the revenue being off, of course, as you alluded to just a moment ago, you've got some extra expenses brought about because of COVID-19. Um, and uh, I guess those are ones that will also be taxing on the decision-making process that goes on. Uh, precisely. It's, if you think about everything that, um, we'll, we'll look at businesses. Uh, if anybody who has a job clearly has seen their employer, the companies where they work, the, the added costs they've had from everything from probably having to add in temperature checks to adding in PPE to spacing out to uh, not having as many folks working in shifts to limiting the number of customers if it's a retail establishment to uh, y- you name it. Uh, putting that into to the need to quarantine if there's been an exposure. Uh, and a lot of these things are just costs that we just have to have to, to keep everybody safe. And so those are costs that state government has as well. And so it's uh, it's one of those things that just is what it is. And so, we, we, but we have to do it to keep it safe. But I'm going to tell you something that's really important too, Don, and that's and particularly for our rural parts of the state. We, we've had a lot of cost with making sure that a lot of our rural hospitals are, are strong and are able to absorb uh, patients coming in, particularly if there's a spike. And so we've, ma- we've, made a lot of, uh, we've made a lot of significant investment in the hospitals to make sure they're strong, to make sure they're able to take care of folks. That's cost a lot of money while those hospitals are already facing challenges. Uh, but you can imagine the cost they've had with uh, the increase for PPE, safeguards, everything, you name it. Plus, remember, there was a period of time where they couldn't do a lot of the elective procedures, which is where the hospitals uh, actually generated most of their revenue. So you combine all those things together. There's been just I don't even know that if we had enough time on this on the program this morning to go through all the added costs. Uh, but we 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 I will say I'm very proud of the fact that we've been able to plan for those and to fund those. And we've really uh, been able to get that done in, in a pretty seamless way. Well, as we've talked about with numerous guests on this program, North Carolina is continuing to have that urban rural divide where we have a large part of our state that uh, is not progressing nearly as fast as the Piedmont Crescent, uh, the area from Raleigh all the way around mm-hmm. to uh, uh, Gastonia and, and Kings Mountain, the area where you come from, Charlotte and so forth. Uh, how, how, how do you handle that as Speaker of the House? When you look at the situations where we have counties as small as three or 4,000 people, and then we have counties like Mecklenburg and Wake County, that is bound to put a lot of pressure on the, the actions of the General Assembly. One thing that I have particularly paid attention to my entire time in the General Assembly and that I've been very sensitive to as Speaker is making sure that as we adopt policies, as we appropriate money in the budget, that we do not leave any part of North Carolina behind. There is, there, there really is a tale of, it's sometimes been said of almost two North Carolinas. <clears throat> you, have, um, you have some rural areas that are significantly challenged. You have some parts of, particularly you look at Northeastern North Carolina, 
where you have declining populations, you have uh, per capita aging populations in those communities that are uh, where you ha- where you have declining revenues, you have increasing cost on the uh, uh, on some of the public infrastructure that's there, and and so you have those they, both of those costs come. You have an increase in cost and a de- decrease in revenue. Uh, you contrast that, and, and by the way, that's not just northeastern North Carolina, southeast. It's parts of western North Carolina. I mean, it, it's it's spread around in a number of areas, and then you have, of course, the areas in the triangle. You have the you have Charlotte. Uh, and the surrounding areas where you've had just amazing growth that's happening. And so what we've done to make sure that we don't leave anything behind is when it comes, for example, to a lot of the construction money for roads, when it comes to construction money for schools and other infrastructure, we make sure that that those rural areas get additional consideration and do not necessarily are, are not required to kick in as much local money as far as match money because we know frankly they don't have it uh, we've had additional money for example to help rural hospitals and rural health care access we've invested uh, <clears throat> i mentioned you know one thing that in eastern north carolina i think is very important is the investment at ecu and the brody school of medicine uh, which is where most of your primary care physicians that are tending to these rural areas are coming from and ex- investing and expanding there so that Folks in rural areas have access to good quality primary care physicians. Uh, just numerous examples of where we're doing that. Um, economic development, for example, if uh, companies choose to expand, to expand or or locate in in areas that are that are hardest hit in rural areas, they get additional incentives and credits. So there are a number of ways that we we sort of bolstered that, and and we've seen some success. But I'll tell you too, Don, we see still a lot of challenges. Because the reality is, if you've got a company that's that's a high tech company uh, or some sort of advanced manufacturing, and if they're looking at locating a facility in, say, Cary or Morrisville, or if they're looking over in you know, near you know, near Charlotte or something, uh, they're probably looking at areas around maybe Atlanta. They might even be looking at near Austin, Texas. You just never know. It's hard to say. Well, hey, why don't you come up here and look at a Husky, North Carolina, or why don't you look at uh, you know, Rutherford to North Carolina, they're going to locate where they need to locate for a number of things. And so you, you've got to be sensitive to where companies want to want to go, when, particularly when they're looking at other states. But I will tell you that uh, we have really pushed as hard as we can to make sure that rural North Carolina does not get left behind. Well, it is. It's always a challenge because uh, they all say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And and uh, you can, we can well understand why companies want to locate where they can get a good source of employment. Uh, and uh, those areas are basically in the Piedmont area. Of course, Greenville and Wilmington and Asheville, I guess, are a little bit of the exceptions to that to that area. But the truth of the matter is uh, we do have some isolated counties and uh, we're just going to have to handle them the best we can. Um, That's right. I don't, uh, I've sort of left myself here with an awkward amount of time. I don't have enough time to start another uh, question before we run out in this segment, but we will turn to looking at education and transportation needs in North Carolina. And also uh, would like to, uh, when we come back with the next segment, talk about uh, what you think the federal government might do with regards to uh, uh, jumpstarting the economy, with, especially with regard to maybe some infrastructure money. We'll do all that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers and our guest, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Tim Moore. And we'll do that right after these messages. 
The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, he's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. The Speaker of the House of uh, Representatives of the State of North Carolina, Tim Moore, is our guest. Uh, he recently uh, uh, was reelected to serve a fourth term as the presiding officer. And uh, you're uh, only the second person that's ever served that many uh, terms. And, uh, uh, of course, you've seen some really interesting changes uh, in state government while you have been a speaker. One of the things that uh, I guess... Uh, this uh, last eight years has been marked by more than anything else is the fact that we've done a lot of tax reform and made North Carolina a more uh, business-friendly state, and that's led to a lot of uh, plants and uh, businesses locating here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, and will COVID-19 uh, sidetrack some of that? Well, I'm, I'm really proud of where North Carolina is and its tax structure. Uh, before uh, Republicans took over in the after the 2010 elections, North Carolina had the highest uh, taxes in the in the uh, South uh, in terms of income taxes and corporate taxes. <clears throat> Today, we we have some of the lowest in the South as well as the nation. Uh, we we've gone from these very high punitive tax rates that punished uh, folks and and to just basically flat tax rates that are that are very fair, uh, that encourage opportunity and success, and have really resulted in just uh, amazing growth. Uh, North Carolina today has the lowest taxes that it's had in decades. And you know, prior to COVID-19, we had the lowest unemployment we had had in decades. And our economy was the strongest it had been in many folks' lifetimes. Uh, and so, of course, while COVID-19 has kind of upended the cart in a big way, uh, what has been uh, what has been good is that North Carolina has re has uh, been resilient and has weathered this storm better than most other states. If you look at states like New York and uh, Illinois and California, they're really in the red in a significant way. I think uh, Illinois was uh, upside down the tune. I want to say like forty two billion dollars. And so, whereas North Carolina, we were 
we, we were looking at about a three to four billion dollar hole, but we managed to take the federal money and reallocate some state money and we're able to fully cover that. And so we didn't have to come in and raise taxes. We didn't have to do any of these things. And we were able to come in and not even pa- do like massive layoffs and cuts. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it really is a testament to the fact that there's been some very wise and responsible budgeting since, uh, since we've taken the majority. So I'm very proud of that. Where do we go forward from here? Which I think was the second part of your question. What does, how does COVID-19 affect it? I think we need to continue with the success we've had. I think we need to make sure that we take care of these critical needs for our state. And I think we need to do all we can to keep our taxes as low as we can, because we don't need to kill the economic growth, the engine that is making North Carolina as strong and resilient as it is. Look, despite the tough times we're dealing with, people are moving to North Carolina. Uh, the U-Haul trucks are, are moving in, not moving out. So uh, I want to see us continue to grow. And the last thing we need to do is to make it harder to do business here and, and, and pass policies that are going to make it tougher. Just look at what's happening in the Northeast and these other states where people are leaving the cities and leaving these states. They're coming to North Carolina. They're coming here because we're doing it right. In transportation, we have sort of a double dip going on as far as revenue, because for years, the uh, gasoline taxes were based on mileage. And as cars begin to get more and more miles per gallon, the uh, gasoline usage in gallons goes down. Uh, and at the same time, we have more needs we've ever than we've ever had, as, especially in the heav- heavily traveled portions of uh, the Piedmont Crescent. Uh, how do you uh, view uh, handling that situation as we move forward uh, and funding uh, transportation needs, getting our state ready for the next uh, 10 years? Well, I am, I am hoping that we will get a, a road construction bond bill passed in this upcoming session. We passed one uh, this past year in the state house. It did not, uh, it was not taken up in the state Senate, but I'm uh, much more optimistic that, that will be done in the Senate this coming year. And I believe that is going to be a, a huge step moving forward to get that done. That's going to get some immediate money in. Our, our state's credit rating is, is superb. This is the cheapest that money has been in a long time. You're almost being paid to, paid to take money and borrow money these days at this rate. So uh, it's a smart way to use and, and to leverage the state's debt capacity to uh, engage in road construction. So I, I think you'll see that. Long term, we are studying um, you know, if there's going to be any modifications to the gas tax. That is a longer term discussion. And, and I don't know. I don't know where we go with that. There's there's not a lot of really good choices when you get into that. And so I think that's going to require um, I think that's going to require further discussion. Are you going to use you know, there's the use general fund dollars to fund transportation. You know, what, what are you going to do there? And, and, and at this point, I don't know that there's any consensus one way or the other. And I think that that's just going to, we, we need to find a way to have consistent, reliable funding, but we don't need to do anything that's going to increase the hardship on the taxpayers of the state. What about mass transportation? I know there's uh, been a lot of conversation about high-speed rail. And of course, you're a perfect example uh, living in Kings Mountain, uh, which is in the Charlotte area of, of what high-speed uh, rail could do between Raleigh and Charlotte. 
Uh, do you see a future for North Carolina mass uh, transportation, especially high-speed rail? You know, there's, there's, of course, there's light rail in Charlotte, and the light rail there does seem to have some usage. And, and it certainly has led to a lot of, of economic growth within the city of Charlotte. But for rail to work, it, it's all a dense, it's all a numbers game. It's all about a density and population, which will then render a, a ridership number. And if you look in the United States at where, where high-speed rail works, it's really the only place where it really works and is sustainable in any sort of uh, model is in the uh, northeastern corridor of the United States. I, you know, you get up toward northern Virginia and get up uh, you know, between basically northern Virginia and Boston, Massachusetts, where you have just the largest cluster of population. Uh, as I'm talking to you in the year 2020 right now, I don't believe the population density is there to support high-speed rail. It just isn't there, particularly if you look at the cost of putting in the rail infrastructure, of acquiring the uh, the, the necessary easements. I mean, you can't just, you, you, people will say, well, there's some railroad tracks. Well, you can't just go stick high-speed rail on railroad tracks where you have uh, uh, where you, you have freight lines running and all this. It's much more complicated than that. And so it's, and we do, of course, have the Amtrak uh, trains that run through right now. And, and frankly, the ridership is low on those. Um, so it would be nice to have, you know, I've tried like a lot of folks I've traveled to Europe and other places where the, uh, uh, where the usage of, of rail is, is something that's, uh, that, that's very seamless. I just don't know that we have the, the density and population for that right now, but, you know, decades down the road, that may be something, but I'll tell you right now, uh, something that we, we have to be building now and we have to be funding is really improvements to our road infrastructure. And you mentioned the area where I am. Uh, there's some serious backlogs uh, when you get into uh, this side, the west side of uh, Charlotte, and and we've got to take care of that. One of the major projects being built right now is the Shelby Bypass, uh, which will, if you, I tell people this story, and you'll you'll appreciate this. If you get in a car in Charlotte, North Carolina, and decide you want to drive to Los Angeles, California, uh, you're going to hit traffic lights in one place today, and that's in Shelby, North Carolina. <laughs> Once you get on the other side of Shelby, you're going to you're going to be on an interstate till you get to Los Angeles. And 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 but what that why that's important is because that would if we get that done, we've got the Monroe Bypass already. Uh, we we get that you get that southern corridor of Highway 74 up to interstate specifications. There's a few other little spots along the way too, around the, like Anson County and a few others. But if you can get that Southern corridor opened up, you take pressure off of I-40 and you also help our ports down at the port of Wilmington. You help our, you help our coastal communities down that way, but you help commerce all along that Southern corridor as you go through 74. So very important that we continue to invest in that as well. You mentioned a, a, a possible bond issue. How much are you talking about? Uh, what do you think it uh, uh, will be if it does pass? You know, we're looking anywhere, maybe around $3 billion, uh, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Uh, we just need to assess what the state's uh, debt capacity is, take into account what the uh, economic uh, conditions are as we get into next calendar year. Uh, we'll want to consult with the state treasurer's office and make sure that we're uh, that, that we're doing something that makes sense. We, we certainly don't want to uh, ever overextend the state's credit. I'm I'm told the state's credit uh, capacity is up upwards of you know maybe around six to seven billion dollars, and 
Uh, others say it's closer to the $4 billion uh, mark, but whatever it is, we want to get a good idea of that. But uh, I, I've got an idea at three. I'm certainly willing to look at more, provided that we, we just know that the debt capacity is there and we won't burden the state with that. Well, North Carolina has forever had uh, enjoyed a very low interest rate when we borrow money, and that's uh, due to the to the uh, care of the state treasurer's office, uh, past and present. Mm-hmm. That's right, and we have uh, we have some of the best credit rating. Uh, I believe we're a AAA credit, and that that means we enjoy that low interest, and that's something that we are all going to to guard and make certain that we keep. It is uh, it, it can't be overstated enough here because look. The less interest we're paying, that means the more dollars that we're actually able to put uh, into actually providing those services. Well, it uh, it's keenly interesting. But hey, you mentioned the fact that uh, a couple of things are happening right now that may never happen again, and that is interest rates are at an all-time low to begin with. And of course, every time you put off a capital project, it's uh, that much more expensive in roads that much more expensive to buy right away later on. So this is a great time to, to look at that situation. Our guest is uh, the Honorable Tim Moore, who is the Speaker of the House, recently uh, elected on Monday to his fourth term in that office. And we will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager. Learning the Lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest on Carolina Newsmakers this week is the Speaker of the House, uh, Tim Moore. And uh, we have already talked about a number of things that that, uh, the General Assembly will be looking at as it uh, comes back into session and uh, tackles the uh, business of setting up a budget and so forth. One of the things I know, Tim, that you've always been so uh, interested in is our university system, and we do have a uh, university system that is uh, envied across the country, and it is something we uh, sometimes don't appreciate as much here in North Carolina as perhaps we ought to, but uh, it's expensive, and we have been able to maintain low tuition, and uh, uh, I know this is foremost on your mind. Uh, What do you you see about uh, where we're going in higher education? 
Well, we've, we, of course, have, I would say, one of the preeminent uh, university systems, not only in the, in the nation, but in the world, of having, of course, of 16 different universities within the state. Uh, you have some that are, that are a little stronger than others. And you have you have some very unique missions among those those campuses, and so what I what I believe we need to do is we need to find ways to to help some of those schools that that have, that have struggled in terms of enrollment and on some of the um, uh, some of the credentialing and so forth to try to find the right niche uh, to 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 find where they what is the right mission for those schools uh, and and so what I think what you've seen with the um, uh, with the, the program of having the $500 a semester uh, tuition for a few of our campuses is you've seen an influx in students and some campuses that were having some challenges and then they now are seeing a, a renaissance in terms of their enrollment and, and really just seeing an in, incredible growth and an opportunity to, to, to really refine focus and, and enhance what they're doing. Uh, but the great thing about our university system is it's you know, truly from the mountains to the coast. And every student uh, can afford to go where we go. If you look at the opportunity for the grants, for scholarships, for loans, uh, for the just the affordability of our universities, uh, I think it's important that uh, those who those who come from the, the least means can can afford to go because it's it's an opportunity to allow those uh, those kids to to rise up out of poverty and do well. You know, I, I, my my two sons. Uh, or uh, my, my youngest son's at Chapel Hill, my oldest son's at NC State. I myself am a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill. And so I'm, I consider myself very fortunate to be in the state where uh, we've invested so much and the taxpayers of the state have been so generous to our university. Uh, I do think that we, uh, one thing that I, I believe we need to make sure that's happening is that uh, there is a protection of, of, of everybody's points of view on our campuses that there's a protection of First Amendment rights of everybody, that there's a protection of, of free speech. You, you know, you hear some campuses that where uh, you know, points of view are being silenced. That doesn't need to happen. So, uh, and I know that's been, that's a conversation wider in academia that needs to happen. Uh, we need to, we need to be very proud of and continue to invest in a lot of things happening in our university system. Uh, there's been a lot of media coverage, for example, that, the uh, lot of the vaccine development that's happening, the treatment on COVID-19, for example, it, a lot of that is happening in partnership with uh, some of our universities right here in North Carolina. A lot of the technology, something that doesn't get talked about a lot, Don, that's why I want to talk about a quick second. A lot of the technologies that people don't realize, everything's from some of the things with your, your cell phones to battery technology is happening with our state universities right here in partnerships with uh, with companies that get started on the campus, uh, you look at the you look at the SAS Institute over in uh, over in Cary, one of the preeminent uh, software firms that got started at NC State. There are multiple examples of where the universities are more than just instructing uh, instructing our young people, which of course is the primary mission, but where it's actually leading to the development, research and development and technology, and then also leads to the creation of high tech well uh well-paying jobs in this state so the university is is an absolute treasure and so that's one reason that when it comes when it's come to our budgets when it's come to our policy that i have uh, just fought doggedly as much as i can to make sure that we invest there 
but I've also insisted that uh, you know the university be held accountable to uh, make sure that it's providing good results, that it's doing what it needs to do, and that our students are being taken care of, and that it's it's doing uh, the the best it can to deliver the best results to the taxpayers of the state. Well, you kind of uh, went into an area that I was going to point out, and so uh, I want to reinforce it, and that is the fact that many, many people think in terms of our colleges and universities in terms of undergraduate education, but with our research universities, and we've got two uh, right here in the triangle of North Carolina, UNC and, and NC State that bring in millions and millions of dollars of federal grants and so forth, and uh, so the research done on the campuses ends up making the university an economic driver. And uh, that sometimes gets lost in the discussion of, uh, of uh, what's going on in the college campuses. Exactly. It, it, you know, and it just cannot be overstated how important that is. I mean, if you look at a lot of the biotech firms, the pharmaceutical companies that are in North Carolina out in the RTP, if it were not for having uh, three major universities in that region, they simply wouldn't be there. That's the draw to have those uh, those companies there. And then, of course, in eastern North Carolina, uh, the, the valuable role that ECU plays. And, and as I mentioned in the earlier segment, the, uh, the School of Medicine at ECU, which uh, I, I fully support a new School of Medicine so that ECU can, can turn out more doctors, uh, more primary care physicians who are uh, the front line to providing good quality health care. I mean, that, you know, if, if you're, if you're living somewhere and you have a heart attack, you want to know that you're going to be able to A, get to a doctor, uh, get to a hospital in time and B, that there's actually going to be a doctor there to take care of you. And that take, that, that's, uh, that starts with A, making sure we've got good access to health care and, and make sure we, we've got good physicians here in all parts of the state. And if we don't, if, if, if we weren't investing in our universities to do that, those things wouldn't necessarily be there. So these are things that affect people's lives in a very real way. And I'm going to tell you something. People are talking about health care and issues now, probably more than any time before because of COVID-19. Uh, it's made it, people talk about your know, hospital capacity and access and all these things because it, it's brought those, that issue home in a significant way. And, and it's, Amazing to think how big of a role the university has, pay, has played on that front. We hear a lot of conversation about the importance of broadband in North Carolina. While we have uh, we're not asleep at the switch in that area of, uh, of internet development, we still have a lot of areas that uh, do not have broadband, and it uh, is very important. What what do you see as uh, the prospects for further development of broadband and the rest of the underserved portions of North Carolina? You know, access to broadband now is is almost it, it's it's really become a necessity for business. Uh, but now with uh, now with with the schools being closed, it's really a necessity uh, in in folks' homes because that's the way a lot of kids are having to learn. Uh, a, a recent development here, as we're as we're uh, recording this this show, is uh, we funded thirty million dollars for uh, broadband through the Federal CARES Act and found out uh, just yesterday that, that Governor Cooper has diverted that $30 million and has directed that it go to be spent on something else. And that was going to be money that we were going to, that was going to be put directly into 
expanding uh, broadband throughout the state uh, so that so that it could be expanded immediately in a lot of ways so that kids who were who were home from school would have access to it uh, uh, right now. And so I'm not sure why that's happened. We're still asking a lot of questions. I, I, I hope there's a good reason that that's happened. I don't I, I, I don't understand why it's happened. And I'm sure there'll be much more media coverage about that in the coming days and weeks. But we really have to do that because just as in the, uh, if you look in the, the 20s and 30s, when you had the rural electrification, which was all about getting, uh, uh, get, getting electricity out to the rural areas of the state, we're now confronted with the need to do that when it comes to high-speed internet and broadband, because that is now as much a, uh, it, it, not, not as much a necessity as, as electricity, but it is, it is growing in that because access to information is there. And look, when it comes to companies locating, just like you mentioned in the other sector, companies are going to locate where they can get access to a good quality uh, pool of, of, of employees. Well, companies now also generally are going to need access to good quality uh, high-speed broadband as well. We've got about a minute and a half left in this segment. Uh, briefly, uh, what do you see as uh, important issues in the area of K-12 through education this year? Well, the biggest issue we're going to have to deal with on K-12 is we're going to have to find a way to get these kids caught up who have been stuck at home all these months out of the classroom who I know there's no way that they have been able to, to really effectively learn uh, like they would have in a classroom. Uh, and, and we cannot just, you know, kind of pat them on the back, send them on and, and not worry about it. That, that's going to be a disservice. Studies have shown that if a child cannot read by the, by the third grade, they, their opportunities for success are significantly diminished. And so one of the things that, that I'm legitimately worried about and, and, and feel like we are not doing enough to deal with right now is making sure these kids are called up. So we're going to invest more in there. We're going to work through strategies on that. But that, but I'm telling you, Don, that is a huge issue that we have got to really double down on because there's a lot of kids that I'm afraid are going to fall between the cracks on, on this right now because they're not getting that in-classroom instruction. Well, it's certainly, uh, there's, as you said, uh, and, and there are, of course, those areas where they don't even have broadband are even more affected by the uh, lack of uh, classroom attendance. Our guest is uh, the Honorable Tim Moore. He's the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the state of North Carolina. And we'll be back with one final No word in the English language is less convincing right after than these probably. Messages. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, the Honorable Tim Moore, who recently on Monday was reelected to a fourth term as the presiding officer of the North Carolina House of Representatives, a man that would tie a state record for the number of legislative terms holding that position. And uh, 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 Tim goes uh, comes, of course, from the Kings Mountain area, which is uh, God's country because I, I grew up only six miles away from Kings Mountain. And so uh, I've been fortunate enough to know Tim's parents uh, for a long time and uh, ended up, as a matter of fact, uh, Tim sitting beside them at the final four uh, a couple of years ago and enjoyed the conversation about you. And they told me lots of interesting stories that I will not pass <laughs> on because uh, they might prove to be embarrassing. But anyway, uh -oh. thank, you. thank you very much for being with us. We've been talking about all sorts of things uh, uh, that uh, you'll be facing as uh, you lead the, the House and uh, uh, the legislative priorities. I, I guess the best thing to start this segment is, is just exactly what are your legislative priorities uh, for this upcoming term? Well, I'll tell you, Don, you threw me off. I can only imagine what my parents may have told you. So I, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that off the radio show for sure. Oh man, uh, I'll tell you the, uh, the our priorities as we as we go forward. You know, I, I'll tell you that we've got to make sure that we continue to get North Carolina moving forward as we deal with COVID nineteen. Uh, that this thing has thrown it is it has affected so many people. It of course has taken the lives of of so many of, of so many people, and we have to make sure that we do everything we can to combat this healthcare issue. Uh, and that we also do it in a way that it uh, minimizes as much as possible the impacts to the other parts of life, economics, education, everything else. And it is, uh, it's, it's a real challenge. But I think that's probably our largest issue that we have to deal with right now. Uh, we need to make sure that we are, uh, make sure our kids are getting the best education they can. As I mentioned earlier, we need to make sure that our kids are, are getting what they need during this time and getting the learning the, the, the basics, particularly those younger kids who uh, I would submit to you're getting shortchanged by not having that classroom time. Uh, need to make sure we're investing in our, our education. Need to invest in our justice and public safety. And I'm going to tell you something else that really has struck, has stuck me uh, or, or, or stuck out to me that we need to deal with too, um, Don. I was in Raleigh back when a lot of the unrest happened and, and when, frankly, a lot of the riots happened. Uh, people call you know, call them what you want to. There were riots. I saw them firsthand. And I saw, I saw people get hurt. I saw property get damaged. I saw people lose their businesses. And I, I, one, of the, one of the pieces of legislation that I'm going to support when we come in is legislation to really increase penalties on folks who go out here and, and commit assaults and destroy property and and commit, you know, burn property and commit crime during the during the time of a riot. Uh, that is something that North Carolina has not seen in decades, and it's something that we shouldn't have to see. And it's something that our folks in law enforcement, something nobody should have to deal with. So you, that's something I think you could, you could expect to see coming up as well. Um, we had we are in some pretty um, we've been in some pretty tough and divisive times. And so we're going to work to we're going to work uh, to do what we can to make sure North Carolina continues to be strong during this time. We continue to be resilient where we're, we're going to work to try to, to be bipartisan. 
Uh, you know, the uh, COVID relief package that we passed last year passed unanimously. Democrats, Republicans all voted for that legislation. Very proud of that. We're going to we're going to make the effort to get that done, uh, done again this time. Uh, and of course, where we have disagreements, we'll have those openly, honestly and respectfully. But uh, we're going to continue to build on the great success we've had and uh, to try to keep North Carolina in the great position that it uh, that it's in. So it'll continue to grow. We talked about this in the first segment a little bit, but I think we probably need to kind of review it because uh, so much of what you do is going to be affected by budget concerns. And of course, as we talked about a little earlier, uh, revenue may be down or actually will be down, uh, but expenses may be up. And uh, how are you going to fill that shortfall? Well, we, we do expect that the federal government may be sending some additional relief funds that we'll be able to channel into to assist businesses and others who've been impacted by by COVID-19. And of course, just like we did in the first round of relief packages, we'll we'll work to get those funds out where they need to go. Uh, where how, about, how much do you think you'll get uh, in additional funds from the federal government? Has there been any estimate of that at all? We don't know. We, we haven't been given any numbers at all. So that's all to be determined. And, you know, and in all fairness, too, we don't know what the needs exactly are going to be. So a lot of that's really going to just be uh, to, to be determined as we get into uh, once we really get into uh, uh, February and March and we're in that process. But, uh, you know, we, we've been able to we've been able to get it done with what we had so far. And we actually even with all this, too, we actually have some savings reserves set aside. We've got around a slightly, little, I believe, a little more than a billion dollars that we can use in our savings reserve or rainy day fund. It's also called in case, uh, in case we end up needing that. So uh, we have some funds there to, to, to take care of things. There's been a lot of conversation uh, nationally about election integrity. Uh, we have not heard much about that in North Carolina. Of course, all elections, as big as the process is, there's always uh, a problem here or there. Uh, do you feel fairly uh, good about the way the election process worked in North Carolina? You know, I do. Uh, the only thing that I'm, I'm, that I'm concerned, I'm, there are two things that I'm concerned about. One is same day voter registration, where we know, for example, folks will go in and register and there's a significant number of, uh, uh, when, when folks go in and register that day where, where they send the registration card out for the board of elections, that those get returned for a, no such person or no such address. That's a little concerning. The other one is the voters of this state went to the polls and pa- and we all passed a voter ID amendment and uh, the courts of this state uh, struck that down as being unconstitutional, which makes no sense. I really believe that the voters of this state deserve to have voter ID. And, and I, I, you know, I'm committed to make sure we take another run at that this year uh, and respecting the, the vote, the people to do that. And you know something, there's not much ever complained about elections when people are voting in person on election day, showing an ID. When folks are doing that, there's really not a complaint. If you look at where the allegations come up and the problems come up, it's either this vote by mail, it's this voting early, it's uh, you know, no, no ID, did the person who voted, was it really that person? Uh, did somebody go harvest the ballots? I mean, look, it's just been... You know, two years ago, when we had to set up, we have a, have a whole new uh, congressional election in the ninth district over ballot harvesting, and, and we passed some laws to say you can't do that. And again, 
They had courts intervening and saying, well, maybe you can do it. I mean, just look, people will have confidence in the elections if they know that the votes that are being cast are being cast by their lawful votes. And there's no and there's no mess going on. And so the more you can show that there's nothing going on, the more confidence the people have in the process. And I think we should always strive for that. When will the uh, General Assembly come back into session? We come back in session on January 13th for the election of leadership offices and what's called our organizational session. And then we will come back in, in earnest to actually undertake uh, uh, the normal operations and business of the General Assembly uh, somewhere around February the 3rd. You got about uh, 20 seconds to answer this question. Uh, and you mentioned it a little sooner. Do you see a, a sense of more bipartisanship uh, coming in? Is there less uh, divisiveness perhaps on the horizon than we've had maybe the last, uh, maybe as much as 10 years? You know, I, I certainly hope it's uh, it's bipartisan. I will tell you that there were uh, most, of the, most of the things, frankly, that we did uh, last year and, and, and since I've been speaker have been bipartisan. The things that get covered are the things, though, that, that aren't. I mean, that's, I guess, more interesting to you sometimes. Uh, but I certainly want to see us continue to focus on things where we can get consensus and bipartisanship, because I'll tell you, the issues that we face as a state uh, should never be Republican issues or Democratic issues. They should be issues about what's good for North Carolina and broader, and, and of course, broader. These should be about issues of what's good for all of us as Americans. And so, Anytime we can put down all these things that divide us and focus on the things that unite us, we're that much better as a state and as a nation. I guess it's been Tim Moore, Speaker of the House of the State of North Carolina, and uh, we appreciate your time and spent with us. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on maybe midterm and uh, bring us up to date on what's happening in the General Assembly. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.